Hey guys, and welcome to the Pacing Racing Podcast, the Canadian triathlon podcast made in mind for the age group triathletes. Now today we have Cody Beals on the Pacing Racing Podcast for the second time. Now I'm super excited to talk to Cody today because both of us just got back from Cambridge, Maryland a few weeks back after racing Eagleman 70.3. Now first off, yes, if you did put money on who would be who, you would have guessed correctly, Cody did have a much faster time than me. <laughs> but nonetheless, I'm happy to talk to him and dive into discussion on his perspective on his back-to-back racing at both Victoria 70.3 and Eagleman 70.3. Now, in this episode, we will talk about his second place at Ironman 70.3 Victoria, and then a week later, his second place at Ironman 70.3 Eagleman, which had a cancelled swim. Now, we also dive into what is ahead for the rest of the race season, including his update on Challenge Roth and his first ever Kona debut. Now, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and really take it all in. Now, Cody is one of the most methodical and humble pro triathletes I've ever got to speak to, and he's got a ton of knowledge when it comes to triathlon, so the honor is all mine to have him on the podcast for the second time. Now, guys, I won't keep you here any longer. Enjoy the podcast, and let's cue the music. So today's episode is brought to you by two sponsors. The first is First Endurance Canada, who just so happened to offer a 20% one-time discount to our listeners if they want to try the products. So it's super awesome of them to do that. So guys, if you want to stock up on some of the product, then head to firstendurance.ca, use promo code pacing and racing. This is valid until the end of August, so definitely take a chance and try out some of their product. Now a little bit about them. Now, First Endurance is actually one of the best nutrition brands out there on the market today, so I'm beyond humbled to get to represent them and, you know, use their products for my racing, training, and also pretty much everyday life. So, I mean, first off, not only are they a supporter of the Pace Racing Podcast, but they're also huge supporters of some amazing First Endurance triathletes like Jackson Laundry, Taylor Reed, Sam Long, The Wirtels, and so many more. Now, for those who've been keeping up with me on Instagram, you'll know that I've been wrapped up on the Eagleman 70.3 as I use both the EFS Pro and the EFS Liquid Shots for the bike. And also use the EFS liquid shots on the run. And I was thrilled to finally have the nutrition plan completely dialed in. So if you head to First Endurance Canada's website or Instagram, you can check out some of the First Endurance products like their Ultrogen Recovery Drinks or their EFS liquid shots and EFS electrolytes mix and more. Now, it's not only on-course products they offer. Now, they also have products for everyday life like the Multi-V Pro tablets and their Optogen HP tablets designed in mind for the endurance athletes and the demands of our bodies and training. Now, they also offer vegan products and so much more, guys, so check them out. I recently posted a video about my on-course nutrition strategy with EFS Pro and the EFS Liquid Shots, so you can check that out on YouTube by searching Pacing and Racing. And soon, I'll be doing another video explaining all the benefits of the Multivitamin Pro and the Optogen HP tablet, so definitely keep on the lookout for that video. And if you guys want to learn more about the First Endurance Canada, you can find them on Instagram by searching at First Endurance CAD or on Facebook by searching First Endurance Canada. Now, the second show sponsor for today's episode is Normatech Recovery Systems. Now, one of the perks of this podcast is I get to speak with so many professional triathletes to find better ways that age groupers can improve their training and, you know, be the best form of themselves in the sport. Now, one of the most common paradigms I drew amongst many of these pros is that not only are they very disciplined when it comes to their training and nutrition, but I think it's most importantly that they were disciplined in proper recovery after workouts or races. So one of the pieces of equipment that so many of them were using were the Normatech recovery systems. So after a lot of discussion on it and after a ton of research, I'm happy to say I've now have a set of the Normatech Pulse 2.0 lag recovery system, and I could not be happier with it. Now, the benefits of using Normatech, which originally sold me on the product, was that it enhances the body's natural ability to recover. You know, it increases circulation and reduces that muscle pain and soreness you get after your workouts. 
and especially the day after. And overall, it rejuvenates your muscles after hard days of work. Now, I vividly remember the conversation in the podcast episode I had with pro triathlete Frank Sorbera, where he said out of all the things you could spend your money on in triathlon, that the Normatex were probably one of the things he found made the most difference in his career over any single other product. And when you think about it, it makes total sense. Because of course, it's not going to make you more arrow on the bike or add any extra watts or anything like that. But what it will do is it'll allow you to train harder, recover quicker, and look after your muscles better, which I mean, overall pays dividends on race day. So Normatech offers a ton of product options, including systems for your legs, arms, your hips, even full body. So definitely go ahead, check them out. And you'll definitely hear me preach a lot about them because I'm a big fan of working smarter, not harder in triathlon. Now I'll be making an overall review video for this Pulse 2.0 recovery system. So definitely keep an eye out on the Pace Racing YouTube channel. But until then, if you want to learn more about these, you can check them out at normatechrecovery.com or you can find them on Instagram at NT Recovery. And you can check them out on Facebook as well by searching Normatech Recovery. And just to clarify, guys, Normatech is spelled N-O-R-M-A-T-E-C. So, Cody Beals, welcome to the Pace Racing Podcast for the second time. So, how are you doing, man? Thanks, Stephen. Great to be back on the show. I'm, uh, I've had better weeks and months, but I'm doing all right. I'm feeling pretty up today. Awesome. Yeah, no, that, that's good to hear. And, and obviously, yeah, we're going to dive into a lot of that uh, kind of the reasoning behind that in this episode here. But I mean, first off, thanks for coming on the show. Obviously, like you just mentioned there, it's been a busy few weeks here for you. So uh, obviously appreciate the time for you to come on and talk about what's been going on. So, I mean, just a little bit of a recap for those who don't already know, you just finished your uh, back-to-back weekend racing at both Eagleman 70.3 and Victoria 70.3, which you've sort of done the past few years now. So Unfortunately, you'd mentioned before that you've been working through your first injury of your your first true injury of your career in triathlon, which has been the Achilles tendon issue. So now, I mean, let's sort of talk about that, I guess, to begin with, like when, when did you first sort of notice the symptoms and like, how did you react initially to all this? Yeah. So I would trace the genesis of this all the way back to the end of March when I was supposed to open my season at 70.3 Taiwan. And I traveled all the way there and got pretty sick the day before the race, still tried to start the race and had my first ever DNF due to illness. Long story short, it was like the most harrowing 50 hours of travel home ever. I got really, really sick on the plane and basically couldn't eat for a week once I got home. So I lost about five pounds that week and really struggled to get back into training. And kind of the first day I felt good again, I overzealously ran 43 kilometers and injured my foot and uh, managed to recover from that pretty quickly. But I think just kind of limping through that injury, compensating, eventually led to this Achilles tendinosis injury. I was actually doing some kilometer repeats with uh, my friend Jack Laundry, who's really on fire right now, just yeah. having one on uh, 20.3 Yeah, and, that was crazy. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I'm just guilty of not checking my ego. And, you know, we tried to run 250 low on the last one and something kind of went pop in my calf and Achilles. So that was kind of the acute phase of it. And it's since been diagnosed as Achilles tendinosis, which is kind of a more chronic degenerative tissue uh, problem. And looking back for the past few years, there's been a lot of red flags and I was running through a lot of, uh, stiffness and even some pain that I, I just kind of thought was normal and wasn't really that aware of until now. So it's been really debilitating. I haven't been able to run consistently for a couple months now. And really only this week am I getting back into some runs approaching an hour every other day. Yeah. So that, that's right. So you're saying this happened kind of back in March and now did you, was this sort of affecting you when you raced challenge Cancun at that point? I mean, you came second and you had a really good, great time and uh, a pretty amazing race, I guess, alongside, I think you had the podium alongside Andy Potts and Ben Hoffman. Now, was that sort of a, a struggle for you as well at the time? 
Uh, Taiwan went reasonably well. It's funny going back to that was late April. Um, I actually swam and, and swam reasonably well there, biked very poorly, and then ran really well. Had the fastest run split by a long shot, and so managed to put together a really good run there, which reflected a really fantastic winter of run training. Um, I just haven't been able to put it all together so far this season. Presented Victoria and Eagle Man. Victoria, I swam really well, second out of the water, uh, second fastest bike split, first off the bike. Eagle Man, first broke two hours for the first time, had a personal best power on the bike. Um, but I just haven't been able to put all three disciplines together in a, in a race at this point. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And now, I mean, talking about the, your last two races here, Eagleman and Victoria 70.3s. Now these are obviously two big races and, you know, of course want to sort of expand on this because you had defending champion for both of these races leading into it. And you obviously, like you just mentioned, you had some really great PBs and whatnot throughout these races, but you're still kind of going through the, this injury. So, I mean, I guess leading through it, you briefly talked about your training leading through all this, but did you sort of keep to your typical training regimen? Like I know you're kind of a big fan of the zone two, zone five type of workouts. And was that something you were still continuing through the season? Yeah. So broadly speaking, this season is, po- is uh, periodized in the sense that I'm focusing on 70.3 training the first part of the year and then switching gears to Ironman. Uh, because the intention was to race Challenge Roth next month, I started to kind of dabble in some more Ironman specific workouts earlier in the year than last year, for example, when I didn't really touch Ironman training until July, August, preparing for Mont Tremblant. So I did keep a pretty, uh, pretty strong bias towards polarized training with a lot of, uh, you know, zone five plus type work and counterpoint with some steady endurance work as well. So I've done more six hour rides and, and long rides on the bike so far this year than all of last year combined. Awesome. So, uh, no. definitely kept that going and not being able to run. It's amazing. I noticed an instant uptick in my swimming pretty much and was able to put in some of my biggest, most consistent bike weeks around 12, 15 hours, mostly on the trainer with some pretty uh, high quality in there. Awesome. So, I mean, that's, that's a good way of looking at still some positives to it. So that, that's really cool. And, and now yeah, I'm I kind of look at it as an opportunity, you know, I'll be, I'll be kicking myself if I let this opportunity go by to really develop my swimming bike. So an injury always sucks, but, um, there's always going to be a silver lining there. Exactly. No, that's so true. That's a great way of looking at it. And I guess, you know, to paint a picture, I guess, for age groupers out there who may be going through a similar situation to this, I mean, like, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but if you're sort of able to go back and, you know, make any changes to training or take more rest or, you know, do more physio or anything, would there be a, something that might've, you know, reduced the implications or kind of uh, changed things as far as the Achilles tendon issues went or? Yes, I would have done a number of things differently. So like you said, twenty twenty hindsight, but really there were a lot of red flags and risky practices on my part. Um, even though I work with Skechers as a shoe sponsor, I still have a bad habit of running in old shoes and stuff, which is, there's just no reason to be doing that. So I'm going to be changing up my shoes more regularly and also looking for some higher drop shoes. My mentality was kind of, if I can always, if I can get away with running in really minimal footwear, I'll just do all my running in minimal footwear. And we're talking about, you know, run days, even over 50 kilometers sometimes during the Ironman build. So, and, and weeks over uh, 110 kilometers in some cases. So it's pretty significant mileage to be doing in not only minimalist shoes, but beaten up old minimalist shoes. <laughs> so uh, I've introduced actually, I'm, I'm currently wearing a pair of uh, Skechers Goron Forza, which is the first time I've ever had a stability shoe on my foot in my life. It's kind of a neutral light stability shoe. And you know what? I'm really liking it. I was really snobby about this kind of footwear in the past. And it's actually a really appropriate shoe for me on, on easier days. And especially as I'm recovering. Um, apart from that, I just had the first physiotherapy appointments of my life uh, a couple weeks ago. So I've never, I've never spent a dime or a minute doing any kind of uh, physiotherapy, massage, body maintenance, that kind of thing. Um, I really have no, no um, 
body maintenance routine to speak of. I'm pretty erratic with my conditioning training and I don't, I don't stretch. I don't foam roll. I don't do any specific exercises targeted at weaknesses. And I've been able to get away with that for a really long time. This is basically two decades of competitive endurance sports now. So I just kind of felt the rules didn't apply to me, I guess. And people warned me all along as I started to approach 30, this sooner or later will catch up with me. And uh, sure enough, it did. So I'm already putting better practices in place, building better habits, added a physiotherapist to my team and uh, making headway now. Awesome. No, that's actually really good to hear. And you know what? I think, you know, I'm glad you kind of touched on that because so many people out there are probably going through similar things, right? Like even I'm thinking that too myself, I haven't really had any serious injury to be honest with you, but I mean, that's, it's sort of inevitable. Like if you sort of push the envelope with the training, I mean, it can come, I mean, sooner than you know it. So, I mean, that's really cool to kind of hear that and take your perspective on it. So that's good. I feel really fortunate still to have been through two decades and this is really only my, my first major injury other than a little, I had a little bout of Morton's neuroma when I was a university runner, but uh, it's, it's really been smooth sailing. I've had all kinds of other issues and, you know, hormonal dysfunction and symptoms related to overtraining, but uh, my body's always held up really well. So this was, uh, I think I got off easy. This was kind of a shot fired across the bow in the grand scheme of things, just missing a couple runs of, of patchy run training. That's not really a big deal. For sure. Awesome. And that's a great way of looking at it. And, and now sort of let's switch over and actually let's t- dive into these uh, two races, the Victoria 70.3. We'll start with that first. I mean, obviously for you, it was a really great race. And of course, being on Canadian soil for you as you were defending champion going into it, uh, what were your sort of thoughts leading into that race? Like you knew you were going to the race with uh, your injury, but obviously your fitness levels were still on point from uh, your training throughout the season. And you're obviously pretty hungry to defend your title there. Yeah. Um, I was, a, I was a nervous wreck before Victoria, frankly. Um, I completely failed to defend my title in Taiwan, my first DNF due to illness, like I mentioned, and then had an okay race in Cancun, uh, second place to Andy Potts there. So kind of a consolation prize, made me feel a little bit better. Um, but going into Victoria, I was really eager to defend my title there and I felt some pressure to do that. And I also knew at that point that it would be pretty touch and go with the injury. So before both Victoria and Eagleman talking to my coach, I was basically prepared to DNF. I really had no idea what would happen when I stepped off the bike. Uh, my best guess was that I'd be able to get through a few kilometers okay, and then things would start to go downhill. And sure enough, in Victoria, I, I swam in road maybe a little bit harder than I normally would. Um, and right away on the run, just felt a lot of stiffness in the tendon, and it just progressively got worse. And I don't even think I could have run an extra 100 meters if I had to. I basically had to hobble across the finish line, which is kind of fascinating to me. It's obviously like a psychosomatic component or whatever you want to call it to the injury because there's nothing, there's something very coincidental about the fact that I was able to run 21.1 kilometers on that injury before it really started to detonate. So uh, I had Taylor Reed running up behind me, pressuring me as well. It was kind of a, a nightmare <laughs> hobbling the last kilometer, That's um, hilarious. but I was, I was really just relieved. And after Victoria, I kind of adjusted my attitude, you know, okay, I didn't, I didn't defend my title these two races so far, but it could have been much, much worse, you know, to come away with second place. I really don't have anything to complain about. So between Victoria and Eagleman, um, I slept really well. I felt a lot more relaxed. And I just kind of felt like the situation was out of my control. I was doing everything I could, being really proactive about treating the injury. And so I went down to Eagleman. And if I had to DNF, I think I, I wouldn't have been too disappointed by it because um, I, I'd done everything in my power. And I just couldn't, couldn't beat up myself over that. Yeah, for sure. No, exactly. And again, great way of looking at it. And, you know, it was also really cool to see both you and Taylor Reed podium together on Canadian soil. So that was really hot, like really well fought out race. And obviously big kudos to both you guys for, uh, you know, getting that podium finish. And it was really cool to kind of watch and, you know, it made like a, a great staple for Victoria having some uh, Canadians on the podium. And, you know, even as you said about Eagleman, right? Like, unfortunately going into Eagleman, 
Now that was a week later. So I'm always impressed that you're able to sort of do that travel from, from Ontario to go to BC, then head back. I believe you can Ontario first and then back out to uh, Maryland, Cambridge in the state. So a lot of traveling, I guess, for... It's not, uh, not easy having oh. races on opposite ends of the continent a week apart. I've, I've learned from that, doing that double. Um, I've done back-to-back 70.3s a week apart a few times and messed it up really only in one case. And what I learned is that we only have six days to recover between races. You really can't afford to waste a single day. So all the planning has to be dialed in. You can't be staying up late on your, on your screens and devices despite all the excitement after a race. Uh, this year was a little bit more challenging because I had to drive myself down to Eagle Man. It's about a 10 hour drive from home for me. So uh, I crashed at literally the worst Motel 6 on the <laughs> Eastern Seaboard. <laughs> Do not recommend. Pretty scary. Um, but I was so tired. I just slept really well. So yeah, having the, tra- the travel dialed in is really important for those, for the, that closely spaced double. The other interesting thing was that because I wasn't able to really run very hard in Victoria, I actually found that I, I bounced back relatively well. I have to qualify that by saying, like, um, you know, metabolically or whatever you want to call it, cognitively, I felt really good right after uh, the day after the race even. Felt like a, more like a big training day than a true race effort. Uh, the big caveat was that I could barely walk due to my uh, tendon having flared up. So I almost wondered if I would have to change my flight because I wasn't confident uh, that I'd be able to wrestle my bags and stuff in my bike box to the airport and get myself on the plane. It was that bad. <laughs> wow. That's insane. Eh? And just to think a week later, you were, you're out doing another 70.3. So th- that's incredible to hear that. And now, I mean, obviously speaking of Eagleman, when you head there, obviously so many people were excited to see you down there and, uh, you know, I was there as well. It was obviously an amazing experience. Definitely. I would, I'd go back every year. It's just such an awesome weekend overall and a really welcoming kind of small community there. So that was, that was very cool to see. And, and now we were just saying before this, uh, weather, was uh, quite different than the previous years. Obviously, the rain helped sort of kill that typical humidity from the previous years, but uh, it was also another fairly windy race. Now, because of all the the sort of weather, the swim course ended up being canceled, I think only maybe 20 minutes before the race starts. So how'd you feel when you kind of heard that? Like, What was going through your head at that point? So I wasn't a stranger to this kind of time trial format. Uh, when I won Ironman Chattanooga last year, it was the same thing, canceled swim, bike time trial start. So I think I would have been a little bit more flustered if I haven't had that experience. And I also do some time trials locally, so I'm pretty familiar with the format and the different mentality you have to approach those types of races with. Um, it was interesting looking around kind of the pro area when the news broke, and people's reactions varied tremendously. Some people just kind of took it in stride and were really calm. Other people were basically freaking the hell out. So I like to think I was pretty calm about the whole thing. The only thing that kind of rattled me was that Ben Hoffman, who I kind of figured would be the favorite to win, ended up drawing a slot, who drew names out of a hat, he ended up drawing a slot one position behind me. So I was a fourth starter, which was pretty good. Ben was fifth. So that was uh, a little nerve-wracking to have a, an athlete of his caliber in an ideal position basically right behind me. But other than that, I felt fine about, about the time trial format. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's true. It, it was awesome to see Ben there. He's, you know, just one of those legends of the sport. So it's always great to see him sort of being at these races. And, and it'd be amazing for you to obviously be competing against him side by side like you have a few times this year now but I mean looking at the as far as swimming goes obviously that that swim was canceled but it was one of those races that were borderline you know it was 75.6 degrees Fahrenheit now is it like was it going to be wetsuit legal or not now do you prefer does it matter to you at all do you prefer wetsuit or does it matter if you're wearing wet skin or does that make no difference to you really I'm completely neutral on wetsuit versus non-wetsuit I don't really notice uh a strong relationship with high perform. The one exception might be if it's really choppy, that still seems to be my Achilles heel, which is a really bad figure of speech right now, given my injury, by the way. But <laughs> yeah. um, I, I really don't mind wetsuit versus non-wetsuit. 
Awesome. No, that's good to hear. And, and so, I mean, as we sort of talk about Eagleman here for the, the run, obviously you had a really stellar bike in Eagleman. Now, how did you feel on the run? Obviously your, your run time was actually really well, but obviously you're probably going through quite a bit of struggle with your Achilles, right? Yeah. So I, I didn't run at all between Victoria and Eagleman until the day before Eagleman and Saturday, I went out for a little jog and lasted about 15 minutes before it became really painful and did three two, shoe changes during that time, trying to figure out the right combination of insoles and shoes that might be able to help. Uh, I think I chose wrong for a lot of reasons. <laughs> But uh, again, like Victoria, I came out on the run really gingerly, fully expecting that I might, I might get a kilometer in, kilometer in and have to pull the plug. Basically talking to uh, two different physiotherapists I consulted, the consensus was kind of, you can push up into kind of a six or seven out of 10 pain, maybe an eight out of 10 if you have the finishing shoot in sight, uh, like Victoria. But beyond that, you're just risking uh, a more severe acute injury, not to mention delaying recovery. So with that in mind, um, unlike Victoria, it didn't really worse over the course of the run it just was bad from the start and uh not a whole lot worse by the end so i, I know i was limping on it in a pretty pronounced fashion because just looking at some some static shots from the race <laughs> yeah they look they look horrendous and if you if you can tell you're running with terrible form without even looking at a video something's seriously wrong and the other the other point was that my feet were so chewed up so usually i don't get blisters they're pretty uh callous and tough at this point i've never had such blisters in my life my, my feet were like hamburger meat after the race it was awful so obviously i was limping and compensating in a lot of different ways wow uh that's uh it's crazy to hear obviously i mean i'm still shocked that you're able to kind of pull through with that kind of injury through two back-to-back races and do as well as you did i think that was the incredible thing but i mean obviously like we said incredible or foolish i'm uh i'm still wondering (laughs) that's hilarious no that's that's good and now as far as your nutrition obviously i know you're very methodical with that approach but you felt nutrition everything else is sort of on point throughout those weekends Despite yeah, being- I have 70, 70.3 nutrition really dialed in. So I'll push about 450 calories an hour on the bike, pretty similar to Ironman. And then uh, kind of whatever I can get in on the run, maybe a little bit less, but not too far off. Awesome. No, that, that's good to hear. And obviously, so, so you came in second overall just behind Joe Gambles, which was a hard fought out race. And again, obviously huge kudos because you didn't know. It's just hard with the time trial, right? You don't really know who's, who's in the lead or who's ahead of you because you guys kind of had an offset time. So for you, was it a matter of first place for you? Like, were you striving for first place or were you just trying to get through the race and try not to like, try to avoid a DNF or watch your injury? It, it varied minute to minute in the race. The, the smart thing to do would have been just to entirely focus on my own race and race within myself and follow that pain guideline for how hard I should push. But if I'm honest, I actually really underestimated Joe. He had a rough season last year, but if you go back a little further, he's obviously a stellar athlete with a, a really long and impressive resume. I had marked Ben as the athlete to watch, and so I knew that I had more than a 45-second buffer on Ben. So I was, on one hand, kind of cautiously optimistic that I might have had the win because uh, they let me break the tape and everything, and they even let me do a finish line interview. But in the back of my head, I just kind of figured with a field of that caliber, that, that ugly, ugly run I had probably wasn't going to cut it. And sure enough, uh, five or so minutes after we finished, found out that Joe was the real winner. So it's good to see him back on form. That always makes me happy. Absolutely. No, that, that's very cool. And so, I mean, looking ahead now, so you've had a busy few weeks here, but now, unfortunately, uh, due to that, you were supposed to be lining up at Challenge Roth in about 10 days or so for now. So do you have kind of a bit of an update on that and sort of where your thoughts are going into it? Yeah, so that's the biggest disappointment so far of the season. Roth was meant to be my A race over the first part of the season. It's uh, like for a lot of people, it's been a, a goal to race there for many years. And uh, I've just announced that I'm going to have to withdraw. So even given all that I said until last week, I was pretty optimistic I'd be able to recover in time. 
Um, but after consulting two different physiotherapists, including uh, Chris Johnson from Zarin Physiotherapy in Seattle, who's kind of the authority on these types of injuries, I had to face the facts that it wasn't a good decision. You know, the reality is I haven't run consistently for almost two months now. Um, I haven't been doing any of the type of Ironman specific run workouts I need to be doing. So not only is the fitness lacking, I'd also be risking setting things back even further, even if I had to walk, jog the marathon. So Roth is the kind of field with, with six of last year's top 10 from Kona lining up, plus a number of other notable athletes. It's not the kind of field that you can show up with your, your B game, you know, to even be competitive for a top 10 there, let alone a podium. It's an, it needs to be an A-plus race. So it's a real bummer to drop out of that one. That really, really stings, even though I can see objectively now it's, it's absolutely a smart decision. For sure. That's the main thing, right? Like at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's very unfortunate, but I think you got to be thinking more long-term, right? Uh, short-term pain, I guess, for long-term gain. Cause uh, yeah, at the end of the day, you don't want to injure yourself going forward for the rest of the season. Right. So unfortunate about challenge Roth, but I mean, looking ahead, is that something you might want to tackle again in 2020 then and make the Roth debut then, or what are your thoughts? Yes. So I'm tentatively planning to be back there in 2020. And I have to say, I was really apprehensive about letting the folks at Challenge Roth and Challenge Family know about my decision to withdraw. And so, I, you know, I, I send them a, an email and stuff and their response really, really touched me. Like they were not worried at all about the money they'd spent on my travel or anything else. They were just concerned about me as the athlete. And to me, this really reflects Challenge's reputation for caring about the athlete experience and really prioritizing that above all else. So like the four key people there, including Felix, the, uh, the CEO, all had just nothing but words of sympathy and understanding and, uh, you know, invited me back the next year. So that I was really impressed by that. And that kind of thing goes a long way and really made me respect challenge even more. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And actually it's funny you mentioned Felix there. Like, so we just had him on the podcast last the other week and, uh, he just talked up challenge Ross so amazingly. And it just sounds like such one of those, like, really amazing events that are like super like you know like a tight-knit community type of race and, and it was funny because they actually they were kind enough to offer like a free homestay and a 2020 free race entry for like an age group out there sort of like a, a giveaway so they were like super generous they didn't have to do that at all so it just give people that opportunity obviously we all know it's such a hard race to get into but give people that opportunity to sort of you know race in front of the, the like 260,000 spectators cheering on sort of thing so it's uh, pretty cool to hear that. And it's just such a really great race direction that they have kind of going on. And it's very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm going to make a point of going back there, hopefully many more times over the years to come. And it's also a great course to go after the full distance record, which is currently held by Lionel for Canadians. It's a 740 something. So it's kind of a, an empty title. We all know courses and conditions vary a lot, but the goal in the back of my mind, besides doing you know well there, which would be a podium, I think, um, the goal would be to to try and break that record, even though it's just absolutely meaningless. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, that, I, I think it's a perfect record. You know, I mean, us Canadians, we have our we have our own set of goals and uh, records, so I like to hear that. <laughs> so hopefully, yeah, that's possibly for twenty twenty. You never know. So there you go. Yeah, and the the other silver lining of the of withdrawing from Roth is that I'll be. It was it was a really ambitious season I had lined up. It was Roth and then Ironman Mont Tremblant and then my Kona debut. Just three full distance races in three and a half months. That's ambitious, even if things are going perfectly. And obviously this season, it's not been smooth sailing for me. So as, as disappointed as I am, at least I'm going to be that much fresher for Roth and for Kona later in the season. So I haven't, I've resisted the temptation to add more races. I see athletes often make a mistake, uh, professionals of having to withdraw from a race and then feeling pressure to add another one right away, whether it's coming from sponsors or financial pressure, 
Um, my sponsors have been really, really understanding about the situation, which I really appreciate. So I won't be racing until Ironman Montreal in August, and that gives me some breathing room now. Got seven or eight weeks to get healthy and then get fitter than I've ever been in my life. Perfect. And I mean, talking about the training block going into Ironman Montremblant, are, are you sort of still in the rehab phase, kind of easing on into training or like what's your, what's your training plans look for the next uh, eight, eight weeks or so? So I've been swimming and biking better than ever having, you know, kind of capitalized on that opportunity to shift some training load away from running to those two sports. So I'm not worried about that. I've already I put up better numbers on the bike than I ever have in my life. Um, and swimming equally, things are going really well there. So I'm not too worried about those. Uh, I'll continue to focus on those as I ramp up my running. And then ideally, assuming I'll be healthy uh, within a few weeks, I'll be kind of shifting my training with a bias towards running and backing off biking. So for me, when I'm in an Ironman build, before Mont last year, I hit three 50-kilometer run days, double run days, totaling 50K or more. Um, and so that's I don't have any magic workouts, but that's kind of a, a benchmark I'd like to hit. Um, it's just some, some longer run days like that. And I'm definitely not there yet. I think I've run the longest run I've done since Victoria and Eagle man was 70 minutes at a pretty moderate pace. Awesome. No, that's actually really cool to hear. And I mean, obviously it's amazing because you're heading into after Ironman Montreblanc, obviously you're heading into your Kona debut year. So obviously it's still a, a big year ahead for you. I mean, despite having to, you know, drop out of Roth, it's still one going to be a spectacular and a very important year for you as well. So, I mean, uh, I guess you can either look at it as, Kona being the race that you may feel either a lot of pressure on, or you could see it as sort of, you know, this is your year one and you just go in there for the experience and the course and, you know, it, it get to enjoy it. But, uh, for you, like, Definitely what would you, armor. yeah, <laughs> I'm not, for I'm sure, not right? I've already kind of, so it was the same mentality around my Ironman debut last year at Montremblant. You see some pros approach their debut, whether it's their first Ironman or their first Kona with the mentality of, Oh, it's going to be a learning experience. I'm just here to smell the roses and pick up lessons and all that. Um, that's not really my style at all. So yeah, at, at the risk of looking back on this and having to eat my words, I really want to do well in Kona, and that's a priority of my season. I might only race two more times this year, so I'm sure as hell going to make them count. You know, I'm, I'm not going to show up half-baked in Kona and not really caring about it. So the pressure is on. I need to make money. I need to defend my title in Montremblant, and I need to have a good Kona debut. So, um, yeah, I'm going to have to manage that pressure. Awesome. And now, I guess, what would you consider sort of being the successful race day in Kona? Um, is it a podium or the top 10, or kind of what are your thoughts on that? Uh, a top 10 is a successful day for me. Um, anything less than the top 10, I've been very vocal about the fact that it's, in my opinion, an utter waste of time. Other than some lessons you learn and personal development and blah, 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 all these things pros tell themselves to console themselves after a bad race. Um, it's just the fact is you don't get paid. The sponsors don't care. You've done an Ironman. You've, you've put a lot of fatigue in yourself for basically next to nothing. And that that's not worth it to me. So I'm, I'm there for at least the top 10. Um, obviously, that's... Not many people have done that in their Kona debut. So that's a pretty audacious goal. And uh, <laughs> things could obviously go wrong. But uh, that's what this is all about. Awesome, man. No, that's cool, right? And you know what? Uh, we're all really looking forward to the second half of your season at Ironman Montreblant and Kona. So everyone will be rooting for you for that. So that's, that's super cool. And I think, you know, I guess before we sort of wrap it up and end it off, I sort of want to touch base on this. I know I've asked you this before, but um, I think this really could resonate with a lot of listeners. Now, you mentioned obviously you had incredible 2018 performances the entire year. And obviously that came with a lot of pressure and obviously with the pressure came a lot of anxiety. And, and now how have you sort of been feeling and dealing with all that and has it been easier? Have you found some positive ways to cope that you can maybe share with other people who might be going through similar situations or? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've always been pretty anxiety prone and I've been pretty public about my struggles with mental health, written about them. And um, I would say 
this this off season was the most difficult really for a long time kind of since my years in university which were really a dark period in my life so I've, I've gotten better at developing coping mechanisms one of the things for me is keeping commitments in check so i kind of once i reach a critical point of things going on in my life um everything just starts to suffer including my mental health so I, I do very poorly in multitasking i'm best at focusing in at a handful of tasks or even one task at a time i think that's true of most people so i really have to learn to limit commitment and Part of that means saying no, and it's it's really really hard to say no, and sometimes disappoint people if you're kind of inherently a people pleaser like me. So I had a really fascinating conversation with Andy Potts in Cancun. Um, Andy's a guy I have a lot of respect for, not just as an athlete, and he's utterly world class in that regard, but he's also he has a family, he runs a very successful business and coaching empire, runs training camps, and so obviously he delegates some of that work. But one of the most interesting observations he had for me that really resonated was that you kind of have to look at your your energy and your commitments as a zero-sum game. So specifically, anytime you take something on, anytime you say yes to something, you're implicitly or explicitly saying no to something else. And it's really obvious, but I think the temptation for driven type A people is to always just default to thinking, oh, I'm just going to work myself harder. I'm going to sleep less and work later and work more efficiently and get more done. But I think at this point, a lot of us are kind of at our limit, myself included. I'm, I'm doing as much as I possibly can manage cognitively, physically, whatever. So anytime I say yes to something, I'm, I'm saying no to something else. And I have to recognize what those trade-offs are and kind of be a little more mindful of that calculus. No, amazing, man. That's actually really cool to hear because as you're saying that, you know, every listener, I think that we hearing this is probably a good chance that they're type A as well, right? And so I think it's funny because a lot of triathletes are just that type A type of personality. and everyone takes on so much and that's so true to, to kind of hear. And that's actually really cool. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of had that conversation with Andy Potts because just that information alone, that can help really resonate with a lot of people. So coping. Actually, yeah. the, the other thing I was going to add was um, for, for me, sleep is really, really fundamental to my mental health. I think same with all of us. So making sleep a, a huge priority is really, really important to me. So focusing on sleep hygiene um, has been really critical. So I have a lot of routines and rituals around sleep now, and that just needs to be the utmost priority in my day because if that goes downhill, everything else is soon to fall. Um, the other piece of the puzzle is also nutrition and specifically energy balance. So I think a lot of things start to suffer, um, mood and focus and sleep included, when you're in an energy deficit, which is pretty easy to do when you're putting up 20 plus hour weeks, week after week after week. So being on top of that is also really important. And the last thing I'll add is kind of just mental exercises you can go through, like practicing gratitude, practicing mindfulness. I've been really good at paying lip service to those ideas but not necessarily putting them into practice on a daily basis. So I'm trying to get better about, you know, setting aside a little bit of time to meditate every day or just going through the very simple classic exercise of listing a few things you're grateful for every day. Um, there's something to those things. They're not just BS in my opinion, and they definitely help you be grounded and on track. Yeah, awesome, man. That's really cool. And obviously, thanks for sharing that. I think, again, that'll help so many people. And so really looking forward to everyone kind of listening in and, and hearing all that and using that advice in their own lives. So that's very cool. And that's good. And I mean, sort of as we wrap it up, I just want to ask you about your sponsors. Of course, obviously, like you, you've mentioned earlier, like none of it could really be possible without them. And I mean, not only that, but you also look like a completely upgraded athlete this year. <laughs> you got an awesome new kit, um, awesome new frame set going on. You're even driving the odd Lamborghini here and there. So that's pretty cool, right? So, <laughs> so uh, that was a completely opposer move. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually really cool to see. So, I mean, no, uh, like, uh, again, if you want to give a shout out to your sponsors, kind of who, who's been kind of having your back this year and who's been by your side. Yeah, so Wadi Inc's my apparel sponsor, and I held off on an apparel sponsor for a really long time until I found the right fit. And they do a lot more than just apparel. They kind of, as you noted, 
they help pros with an image makeover. So I knew I needed help in that department, riding a stock bike and a stock kit wasn't really cutting it anymore. So their designers, they're fantastic qualities, top notch. And they also shot that really cool commercial with the Lambo with me. Um, Ventum has also just delivered a custom painted bike to match everything. So they're helping me with a bit of a facelift as well. And uh, I'm actually just about to announce a new partnership kind of related to stack performance for the listeners who want to put two and two together there. And I'm um, still in the hunt for a nutrition sponsor, but have some pretty good prospects right now. And uh, one of my new signs this year I'm really excited about is Zizu Optics, a uh, local Canadian sunglasses sponsor. I've resisted working with the big companies like Oakley and stuff, despite an opportunity for a few reasons. And I'm much happier with a local Canadian company like that. Awesome, man. That's no, really cool. And you know what? Actually, I'm glad you pointed that out. And I've said that to several people now. I, I like to see, you know, the like these these top pro Canadian triathletes that they're, you know, they're sticking to the roots and kind of, you know, as much as they can help out with the Canadian, the Canadian brands as much. So that's actually really cool to see. And I'm, I'm glad you just kind of pointed that out there too. So that's that's really cool, man. And uh, obviously, I won't keep you here any longer. But I mean, before we wrap it up again, those few that don't already follow you, um, we're sort of the best place to get all your content. Are you still keeping up with your blog now or? I'm actually just about to publish my fifth annual triathlon budget post, which is surprisingly always one of my most popular posts, the most popular, in fact. So that'll kind of give some insight into my finances from last year, which is my best season ever. And the best place to find everything is on my website, codybills.com. And from there, you can get pointed to my various social media pages, um, basically Instagram at cody.beals is the best place to go as well. Perfect, man. No, I appreciate that. And thanks so much again for coming on and, and chatting. I mean, obviously I'm glad you're able to sort of expand on these races so far this season. Cause obviously I, I know I feel like everyone else feels too, that, you know, there's truly so much more behind the athlete than just the race result. Right. So I, I love to sort of, sort of shed the light on that and sort of see what's been going on behind the scenes. And obviously we hope nothing but the best for you this season. And obviously can't wait to watch you guys and actually all the rest of the, the Guelph guys there also representing Canada through the rest of the season. Cause you guys have all had stellar season so far. So uh, thanks again for coming yeah, on. My, my pleasure. Jackson uh, Laundry and Taylor Reed, the two guys I train with the most, the other long course guys here in Guelph are, are really having great seasons. So uh, we all, the positive energy, we all, we all kind of carry each other. It's beyond, more than just pulling each other through workouts. It's great to be part of something bigger. So thanks a lot for having me on the show again. I appreciate this platform. Yeah, no, no worries, man. Anytime. And again, uh, we'll uh, keep posted. We'll check out your Instagram. We'll be watching for you on Ironman Montreal Blanc, which is coming up next. And other than that, man, take care and we'll talk again. You too. Thanks. Well, guys, there you have it. Cody is such an incredible role model in triathlon and he's a wealth of knowledge. I'm so glad we were able to have him on today's show. Now, if you guys want to hear more podcasts like these, then hit that subscribe button and you can follow me on Instagram at pacing.and.racing. And you can also check us out on YouTube by searching pacing and racing. And as always, I'd like to offer you guys some exclusive discounts to a few great brands that I'm an ambassador for. Obviously, due to ambassador policies, I can't just post these codes on a public platform. So in saying that, if you do go to the Instagram page at pacing.and.racing and click the link in the bio, sign up for that email list. I send all my subscribers with an email with 25 to 60% off some great companies. And lastly, if you did like this episode, please take two minutes to leave a kind review on the podcast channel as this helps us get heard by more listeners through the podcast channel and podcast platform algorithms. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you next time.